Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more at johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. To find out more, visit lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We've been talking about the legal challenges to the election results. And Emmett Sullivan's uh, grandstanding against the uh, post office is kind of interesting, too. Justice Barrett's first uh, week at office has some interesting outcomes as well. Byron Donalds, our new U.S. Congress representative, will be visiting with us this morning, as well as Sharon Kenny. She writes commentary on Dining, Entertainment, and Travel. We'll visit with Sharon as well as Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It is November the 6th, and on this day in 1860, Abraham Lincoln was elected the 16th president of the United States of our deeply divided Democrat Party, coming becoming the first Republican to win the presidency. He received only 40% of the popular vote, but handily defeated the three other candidates, Southern Democrat John C. Breckinridge, Constitutional Union candidate John Bell, and Northern Democrat Stephen Douglas, a U.S. Senator from Illinois. Uh, Lincoln, Kentucky-born lawyer and former Whig representative to Congress, first gained national stature during his campaign against Stephen Douglas of Illinois for the U.S. Senate seat in 1858. The senatorial campaign featured a remarkable series of public encounters on the slavery issue known as the Lincoln-Douglas debates, in which Lincoln argued against the spread of slavery while Douglas maintained that each territory should have the right to decide whether it would become a free or slave state. Lincoln lost the uh, Senate race, but his campaign brought national attention to the Young Republican Party. In 1860, Lincoln won the party's presidential nomination. In November 1860, Lincoln again faced Douglas, who represented the northern faction of the heavily divided Democrat Party, as well as Breckinridge and Bell. The announcement of Lincoln's victory signaled the secession of southern states, which led to the beginning of the year of a year that had publicly threatening secession if the Republicans gained the White House. By the time Lincoln's inauguration of uh, March the 4th, it was delayed back then because it took a while to get to Washington, uh, seven states had seceded, and the Confederate States of America had been formally established with Jefferson Davis as the elected president. He was elected exactly to the day, one day, one year after Lincoln one month later, the American Civil War began with the Confederate forces under General P.T.G.T. Beauregard opened fire on Union Fort held Fort Sumter in South Carolina. In 1863, as the tide turned against the Confederacy, Lincoln emancipated slaves and in 1864 won re-election. Of course, in April 1865, sadly, he was assassinated by uh, John Wilkes Booth at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C., it, you know, the attack came only five days after the American Civil War effectively ended with the surrender of Robert E. Lee at the Fort at Appomattox, courthouse at Appomattox, actually, for preserving the Union and bringing an end to slavery. Most people think uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln is hailed as one of the greatest American presidents of all time. And you think about uh, the civil unrest that we have going on right now and the difficulty in our society, just think about then trying to preserve the Union and having secession. Amazing. Abraham Lincoln. Uh, 
Well, President Donald Trump promised Thursday to level significant legal action to challenge elections in the important swing states after watching his margin of victory whittled away by the late-counted ballots for Vice President Joe Biden. We think there's going to be a lot of litigation because we have so much evidence, so much proof, it's going to end up perhaps in the highest court in the land. You'll see, he said, we think there's a lot of litigation because we cannot have an election stolen like this, he said. The president spoke to reporters at the White House press briefing, demanded transparency in the process, and casting doubt on the Democrat-run voting systems. We want every legal vote counted, and we want every legal vote uh, counted, he said. We want openness and transparency, no secret courtrooms, no mystery ballots, no illegal votes being cast after Election Day. The president said he correctly predicted the mail-in ballot opened by the uh, election up to the fraud and that they uh, would challenge the results. Democrats' officials never believed they could, they could win this election, honestly. I really believe that's why they did the mail-in ballots, where there's a tremendous corruption and fraud uh, anticipated and going on, he said. The president said there was a lot of shenanigans in the election, complaining about electoral workers turning away Trump election observers or keeping them away from watching the ballot counts. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the legal, illegal votes, they will try to steal the election from us, Trump said. The president berated the pollsters for falsely predicting he would lose the election, accusing them of knowingly doing so to suppress the Republican vote. He also cast doubt on the voting systems being run by Democrats, accusing them of blocking his, his votes. The voting apparatus of those states are run in all cases by Democrats, he said. We were winning all the key locations by, the, uh, by a lot, actually. And then our numbers started miraculously getting whittled away in secret. Detroit and Philadelphia warned have a history of corruption in their cities, and that casts doubt on the results. Certain locations, Trump said, stopped counting or submitted large chunks of ballots in the early morning hours of the election. The president said his team collected horror stories of voter discrepancies, uh, suggesting that he would reveal them to the public. Our goal is to defend the integrity of the election. We will not allow the corruption to steal such an important election of any or any election for that matter, he said. I think his statements actually reflect reality and he's seeking justice under the law. Uh, now, <clears throat> here's some text from the Naples Daily News this morning. Republican lawmakers were quick to criticize Trump on Thursday after the president made a series of baseless claims. That's right, they said baseless claims that people are trying to steal the election. After his remarks, which the president gave from the White House, president urged for patience as voters were counted and pleaded for the president to stop attacking the integrity of the election. As usual, the USA Today media Outlets are on board to discredit the president while he, the left hijacks the election. USA is just part of a narrative, I think, we'll see in the coming days and weeks. Now, here's how the media, the fourth estate, should respond. Just the news, which I'm really starting to follow, they're quite good, is joining forces with Real America's Voice TV News Network and the Star News sites to launch an independent review of election precinct reporting in a handful of close states in the 2020 election. The review to be conducted in the next 10 days was prompted by concerns raised by numerous voters and election observers who contacted Just the News 
about irregularities in ballot counting, harvesting and handling in states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona, and Pennsylvania. By all accounts, the 2020 election was unprecedented in so many ways from record turnouts and unsolicited mail ballots to new ballot collection mechanisms and counting procedures. With so much change, the potential for mistakes or misdeeds exists, and it's the job of the independent media to apply a watchful eye to identify any irregularities the voting public should know about. Just the News Editor Chief John Solomon, and he's terrific. The media did this during the hanging Chad crisis in Florida, and we should do it now, he said. The coalition, among other things, will compare vote tallies by precinct to vote eligibility rules to identify any locations where overcounting or undercounting may have occurred and review records and interview authorized election observers and judges to ensure that proper counting and certifications were followed. It will also examine precincts for any distortions uh, due to ballot harvesting. The coalition includes a, a national TV network with Real America's Voice, RAV, and the local star network of news sites that stretch from Virginia to Ohio, Rav has partnered with John Solomon and Just the News because John exemplifies integrity. We have joined the coalition for the exact same reason to ensure the integrity of the election, said Howard Diamond, CEO of Real America's Voice. I think that's a pretty reasonable reaction from the press. A real investigation instead of mindless knee-jerk blabber, uh, as we saw in USA Today. And by the way, it won't be just the media. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer, she's of course the uh, Democrat governor of Michigan, said Thursday on MSNBC that President Trump was growing increasingly unstable, which he called very troubling. So who are you going to believe, the Democrats or your lying eyes? All the evidence is right there. The shenanigans are right there. Plain as day, they I guess they really felt this was going to happen. They, they were going to get away with it. And it's uh, shocking indeed. But just think about the history about this impeachment, about uh, Russia collusion, all these things. They've tried in so many different ways to block this president. I believe he will prevail. They picked on the wrong fight with the wrong guy. Usually, Republicans just back off and say, oh, well, we fought the good fight. We didn't win it this time, but maybe next time. I think the president is basically going to stand up and ask for justice ask for justice under the law, not to try and steal the election himself, but rather to make sure that all count, you know, if in fact, all the votes are certified and counted properly, and he lost, well, he should uh, leave the White House, and that's that. But I don't believe that's the case. He doesn't believe that case. That's the case, and we've certainly seen plenty of evidence of that, uh, of what's been happening so far. By the way, financial markets were up nicely yesterday, I think expressing gratitude for the fact that the Senate is going to stay within Republican hands. Uh, but there's a lot of concerns that if, in fact, the White House is won by the Democrats, just think about what's going to happen to the uh, borders. Think about what's going to happen to health care. Think about, oh, just so many different areas that we have real concerns. The uh, Environmental Protection Agency, uh, we've taken so many steps in the right direction to heal and uh, our economy. I think the uh, Democrats will take it in exactly the wrong direction. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date reading Life in Naples magazine. 
visit lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and now building a brand-new performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with newly elected U.S. Congressman Byron Donalds. Right now we have with us William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always appreciate your commentary. And uh, before we jump into the topic at hand, tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. Uh, We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. So, William, uh, we know we're going to have some legal challenges to the election results right now. We're, uh, we've certainly seen accusations of dirty tricks, of uh, irregularities in the election, in the process, perhaps uh, even fraud. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, before we jump straight into the kind of the, the legal challenges, the, from a bird's eye view, mm-hmm. I'm sort of shocked and amazed at, at how poor 
this process is gone, that mm-hmm. this very important process of electing our president. Um, it's, it, it, I hope there's no voter fraud, and, and I sincerely doubt it. Um, you know, however, the facts remain to be seen. That said, the appearance um, of having to wait for days and, and then in these you know, heavily urban areas that indeed are controlled by um, party machines, that to have these votes trickle out and, and all these disputes, it just seems so haphazard. And even if there is no abuse or fraud or any of that jazz occurring, and again, I, I hope and, and, and feel as though it's likely that stuff isn't happening. I have faith in the American people. But even even if it isn't, the appearance just looks awful. Yeah. And it feeds into the, exactly the sort of suspicion um, uh, that I do believe is harmful for the institution of this election. So um, I, I just, uh, before we jump into the legal challenges, I just I, I never cease to be amazed over the last three days at um, how some states are, are seemingly doing it so poorly and, and inviting suspicion and inviting skepticism. So I say that at the outset. Yeah. Um, well, well, you, well just, to, just to respond to that, I mean, to me, it all makes sense to me now in, in, in retrospect, looking back and seeing how Biden is really not can, campaigning, he's staying in his basement. It makes me think that this has been the plan all along. And uh, I mean, I really sounds like a... a, a uh, some sort of a uh, conspiracy theory, but I, I mean, you know, when two people agree to do something wrong, it's a conspiracy. So that more than two have actually done that, in my opinion. And uh, so they basically say we can't beat the guy, so let's see if we can't cheat him out of it. Is what it looks like to me. Now, aren't there serious criminal uh, consequences for for cheating in, in an election? Are there not? Uh, indeed, there are. I mean, a, a, a U.S. attorney just today announced that they were uh, pursuing criminal charges against an individual who was um, they had caught for the last three election cycles, evidently um, uh, amassing, paying all sorts of voting improprieties. This one individual, hmm. um, and I know that uh, the, the GOP uh, party in Nevada has referred to a U.S. District Attorney allegations of. 3,000 cases of voter fraud or that pertains to this uh, out-of-state culinaries union, people who didn't live in Nevada voting in the election and mm-hmm. the, the propriety of that. Um, yeah, but I'll, I'll tell you what, it's, we don't, the facts aren't known yet, um, and, and that's sort of the purpose of many of these judicial proceedings, but it does look terrible. <laughs> I mean, and that gets, I guess that I'm a, without buying into the potential of a conspiracy, if you will, um, I do say that I think it's indisputable that the fact that how this process played out of the president, you know, being in the lead, and then as these votes were counted, and the, the vote counting at the local level is this partisan process manned by partisan institutions, what we used to call them party machines, and um, sort of the secrecy and the, the varying numbers that have been banded about. Um, I, I do think it has it created fertile ground for suspicion of the sort that you are articulating. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I don't know the facts yet, but I do think that I, I bemoan the context that makes such suspicion viable. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you don't want to see this happen in this country, but in, in fact, it happens all over the world, and why can't it happen here? Uh, and it seems to have happened. So the the question would be this now. Once we go through this legal battle, isn't there a timeline for getting uh, the uh, Electoral College uh, in line to vote? I think it's by the, the 9th or the 16th of December, if I'm not mistaken. 
But it doesn't the Constitution spell out the importance of having the uh, state legislature stepping in if they can't resolve the election? Well, indeed, and as a general matter, the Constitution uh, confers authority to run state elections for federal office to the state legislatures and to state governments. Um, uh, that gets to, you know, it's such a, it's not just that deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the netty, thorny issue of, um, uh, at the end of the day, uh, there's the sort of a, a, a decision of initiative, if you will. He or she who decides first is going to get a great deal of deference in this process. So it, it's not just that the clock is ticking towards the constitutional deadline. At the same time, courts are in a position where what can they do? I mean, you know, this is a inherently a political process. So uh, kind of no matter how meritorious legal challenges to the process are, the fact remains that courts really don't have a lot they can do. I mean, this is the essence of a political question, um, that that courts have a sort of a limited arsenal with which to deal. So it's uh, a... That sort of gets to my point at the beginning. Um, Given how limited the options are for court intervening, were there actual improprieties, the mere appearance and suspicions of improprieties, which again were engendered by what I would argue is this bungled backwards process by which these votes are, you know, they, they wait to, to, to uh, tally the large urban areas that are most susceptible to party machine politics to the last, you know, moment. Uh, none of that makes any sense to me. I don't think it makes any sense to, to Americans across the board. Well, and it, it, again, it, it leads to all these sorts of problems. Yeah, it makes sense if, in fact, your intent is to commit fraud in the election. <laughs> so. I'm loath to impugn anyone's motives, but well, it, it doesn't look good. Yeah, and so I, I guess my question, just to cut to the chase, is this. I mean, what are the chances, I mean, of having, in these disputed areas, having uh, a recount uh, with observe, or with observations and with people watching exactly what's happening, the court-ordered recount of, of the election, the entire, all every vote, making sure that every vote counts that's, that's proper, and then uh, having people who have committed crimes uh, being held accountable for them and, and uh, going through the legal process. What are the chances of that? A sweeping order of that nature, nil. Um, everything's going to be idiosyncratic, state by state, uh, mm. uh, potential fel- felonious offense by potential felonious offense. Um, so it, it, it's, it's not just that general sweeping order, I would say, in this area as a general matter. Um, there's just not much courts can do. And, and to the extent that the election results are tabulated and come out one way, um, it's doubtful, I would say, for a number of reasons. One, the, the, the approaching you know, the constitutional deadline, but at the same time, sort of, uh, again, the, the limited ability, of course, to do anything about it as a practical matter. Um, uh, you know, uh, I would not put too much hope in recourse with the courts. All right. So I would suggest uh, what I, this feels like to me, and I just like your feedback, it feels like a constitutional crisis on the, on the horizon. That's the fear. That's exactly, and that would be to get back to that point I've been hammering home. Um, yes, because of this weird way that that we go about, or certain states go about counting these ballots, I fear just that engendering a constitutional crisis. And if not the nuts and bolts of the constitutional crisis in the courts of law, one of legitimacy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if eighty million people who voted for Trump 
doubt the outcome of the election. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I'm not saying there was impropriety, but I am saying that the, the way they went about counting these votes certainly invites such suspicion. Um, and that's a big deal. That's a, a terrible result for, for the American people. Yeah, I would say so. Indeed, the Democrat Party says basically, what are you going to believe, me or your lion eyes? <laughs> Fair enough. William Yateman, again, the research fellow at the Cato Institute. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Byron Donald's newly elected congressman here in the 19th District. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now, we have with us our U.S. congressman to be uh, in, in office, I guess on January the 20th, if I'm not mistaken, Byron Donalds. Byron, thank you so much for joining us, and congratulations. You know, Bob, I've been on your show for years, and it, it, that just sounded so weird how you introduced me. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, listen, thank, thanks, thank you so much. Um, 
you've been a fantastic friend of mine for geez 10 years now Bob. yeah it's been and a while yeah it's been a, it's been a long time and you know but thank you and linda for your support and and for your listeners support um over the last decade and yeah we did it we have going yeah. to congress going to congress <laughs> and you know what i couldn't be more grateful that it's you to going up there uh we need you more than ever up there and i just genuinely believe you have the backbone and the fortitude to to address the issues that we're dealing with up there as a gentleman and as a statesman i think you're going to just do a terrific job Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Absolutely. So a lot going on right now, and I suppose the big issue right now, the elephant on the t- table, is the is the election. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are, you know, we have states, unfortunately, who did not prepare for this election. Let's be one hundred percent about what's going on before we even get to voting, uh, counting irregularities, and who's in the room and who's not in the room. The number one truth in this election is this, you know, we have states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, um, and Nevada, who were not prepared for this election. It was uh, something that was all we all knew. I think that this was going to be one of the highest turnout elections in history. Mm-hmm. Turns out it's the highest turnout in history. Mm-hmm. We all knew that because of COVID-19 and and. To be honest with you, Bob, the fear mongering by media and Democrats that there were going to be a massive wave of absentee mail in ballots um, coming from especially Democrat voters. And instead of either adjusting your laws um, to take to prepare for that or changing your laws to prepare for that, they did not do their jobs. In all honesty, if you look at what happened in Florida, Florida's election laws should be the model for the country. Right. What do I mean by that? Number one, voters should have to request their absentee ballot they should not be mailed to every voter why is this important because voting is a right there's no doubt about that but it is also the highest privilege of american citizenship you have to walk yourself into a voting booth Mm -hmm. you have to decide to go to a location early if you're going to cast a ballot and you should decide to actually get an absentee ballot Mm -hmm. in some of these states the, the elections office was just mailing them to everybody. That's number one. Never, that never made any sense. Number two, and this is still the issues um, in a lot of the, the northern states, which is the quote unquote blue wall, that they don't their voter their voter ID laws and their voter registration laws are ridiculous. I believe in, in Wisconsin, you can register the same day. You can literally walk in off the street, register to vote and go cast the ballot on election day. Mm-hmm. You know, no verification of status, no verification of are you are you actually authorized? Because how are you going to verify it if you walk in on election day, register and then go, and then go vote? Yeah, that's number two. Number three, and this is the biggest one. If you're going to go to a vote by mail system in these other states, the number one thing you have to do is that there has to be a cutoff for when those ballots are legal and and and, and are legal ballots. Right. The cutoff has to be the time that your polls close. Why is that important? That's important because if you decided to go vote in person and you get into the voter and you get into the vote line, let's say your polls close at seven o'clock and you get into the vote line at seven oh five. You can't vote. Right. There is a cutoff right. like that. You know, it's, it's like in any of it's in any game we play and anything we do. It's like turning in your homework in, in school. There is a cutoff. Like right. once the time ends, the time ends. Right. And these are the issues we're having. And I think that's why. You know, the president and his legal team are suing in a lot of these states because they're like, wait a minute, 
when were these votes actually secured by the supervisor of elections? I mean, when were these ballots secured? Right. And I think if you have a clear system of rules, um, that's the, that avoids a lot of the mess we're seeing right now, which is now three days after election day. Yeah. You know, Byron, I just share with you my, my uh, again, this sounds like a conspiracy theory, but I think there could be, anytime two people agree to do something bad, it's a conspiracy. So by definition, it just makes me wonder, when you take a look at the pattern of the uh, Vice President Biden's uh, uh, conduct as he approached this election with no sense of uh, urgency or no sense of desire, no not in, demonstrating any any kind of enthusiasm for the role. Number one, number two, uh, the pandemic inducing the opportunity to say let's do this mail in ballot thing, let's send ballots out to everybody with the understanding that basically they said, hey, we don't think we could beat Trump, so let's see if we can't just uh, steal the election. Listen, my view on this is for Israel simple. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. You know, we got to make sure we have to make sure before we level that allegation. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot because, I mean, if you if you can do that, you know, I mean, I know obviously there's always the, the commentary of what Joe Kennedy did for John for for John F. Kennedy in, in Chicago mm-hmm. back in the in the 60 election. But that being said, if if you can do that in America in 2020, mm-hmm. As much as the left complains about our democracy being ruined, that means the left ruined our democracy. Mm-hmm. And I, and we got to be clear on that. I don't want to be, I don't want to drop hyperbole like the left has been doing this entire year about the soul of the nation and all this other nonsense. Because that's nonsense. I don't, I don't want to do that. Yep. I, I think one thing is crystal clear here. The legal votes should be counted. Right. If a vote shows up after the polls close, mm-hmm. if it's not secured by the supervisor of elections, this this is this is a chain of custody stuff. Yeah. Like if the vote, if the ballot is not secured by the supervisor of election at the time the polls close, well then Bob, you can bring in any kind of ballots that you want to. Right. This is the same issue we saw in Broward County during the last election cycle in twenty eighteen. Right. When the supervisor of election wouldn't tell the people of Florida, how many ballots she had in her possession? Yeah. Forget the count. Yeah. How many ballots do you have in your possession? Mm-hmm. That's what we need to know because that sets the baseline for everybody to be like, okay, well, they're still counting, but we know they have 250,000 ballots. That's important information. Right. If you leave the time open where votes can just come in up to three days, which is what's happening in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And this was something that the Secretary of State and the governor decided which some believe is unconstitutional because the state legislature um, sets the law, obviously, legislatures write laws, and the election laws in Philadelphia were very clear until this election cycle when you had judges and cabinet officials in the state of Pennsylvania deciding to make unilateral decisions and using COVID-19 as the basis to do it, thinking that emergency powers uh, stretch to elections. That's something that could very well be fought. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, but these are the serious issues we're having right here. Now, let me take away from, let me step back from just the voting apparatus as it is. Right. What we've seen in this election, Bob, is a repudiation of socialism and the progressive left. Right. There was supposed to be a blue wave in this election. We are actually, in the, in the U.S. House, we're actually picking up seats. Right. We think we've, we've picked up five internally. We think we're going to pick up about three to four more. Hmm. that's going to shrink Nancy Pelosi's majority. We don't think we're going to take back the House, but we definitely have shrunk her majority. We won seats in Miami-Dade. Miami-Dade actually came home very, very strongly for the president. Florida's a 1% state, Bob. You know this. President Trump won by three points in Florida. 
Amazing. record turnout. Amazing. The other thing we've noticed is we're going to keep the Senate. I believe we're going to hold the Senate and keep the Senate. That's very important. Um, there are two special elections in Georgia that are, look like they're going to happen. Those are supposed to be blue wave Democrat pickups in this election. Republicans have taken more state legislator seats. We've taken more state legislatures in this election. And we won more governor ma governor mansions in this election. Hmm. So for all the talk that there was this blue wave or repudiation of of Trump, of Trumpism, that's a lie. Yeah. That's actually not happened. Actually, what's really happened is, what's really happened in this election is that the progressive left, these radical left policies, uh, the, this, this ideology where they can make all the decisions for you in your life, that has been res resoundly rejected by the American people. And what we're seeing between Donald Trump and Joe Biden is the effect of the constant onslaught of the media and social media on the president of the United States for the last four years. Absolutely. I think you said that so well, but you're absolutely right about that. And uh, to my point about the, the conspiracy, uh, what I'm, you know, the, the solution for this is just to make sure that the, uh, the justice is done, that they go through a process that in fact will uh, verify and certify the election results. If, if Trump lost, he lost. I don't think he did, but uh, you know, needless to say, we'll accept the results as long as they're justified and fair and not, uh, using surreptitious and illegal methods. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's, I think, and I think if I'm a Democrat, that's what I want to, mm -hmm. because here's what I'm looking at. If I'm a, if, if I'm, uh, Alexandria Asasio Cortez, I refuse to call her AOC. I'm not doing it. Yeah. I'll have to pronounce her first name. Right. I guess. But if I'm her, do I feel good this morning that my policies won the day? No. Yeah. I, I don't feel that at all. Yeah. If I'm Bernie Sanders, do I feel that my policies won the day? No, I don't. Mm -hmm. Not at all. And as a matter of fact, what I'm seeing is that the things that I want to do, packing the cord and 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 extremely uh, progressive socialist policies, all that's going to do is drive Hispanics into Republican coffers. It's going to drive Black voters into Republican coffers. President Trump had more has more of share of a Hispanic vote than I think any Republican in history. Yeah. I think that's the number. Yeah. I think his percentage of the black vote is higher than any Republican in the modern era. I mean, this is what's happened in this election. And, you know, for all the talk about how, oh, Donald Trump's coalition is just, you know, a white man's coalition. Bob, you gotta understand. Donald Trump increased his vote share with every demographic except white men. Yeah. Uh, you that's know, what we're seeing coming out of 2020. Yeah. I'm so grateful that you brought up these important points because it is it is a big big change. It is a sea change with regard to the Republican Party and, and President Donald Trump. Well, Byron, I want to end the uh, interview again, just congratulating you and thanking you for your service to the country. Just looking forward to having your uh, vote up there in Washington D.C. as our U.S. Congressman. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me, Bob. You have a wonderful day. Southwest Florida, thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Byron. All right. Coming up, we're going to visit with Sharon Kenny, the author of Where Should We Eat? We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Mulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. The website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Sharon Kenny. She uh, writes commentary on travel, dining, and entertainment. She also has her book, Where Should We Eat? Sharon, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, nice to talk to you, Bob. Always a pleasure, Sharon. Hey, and I guess things are starting to open up a little bit here in Naples, aren't they? Well, you know, it's nice to see. Um, certainly we're seeing a lot more of our uh, winter residents coming down. That's mm-hmm. obvious, I think, in the cars on the street and even some tourists coming down. Yeah. Um, so we are seeing a real mixed bag in terms of events. What's happening? What's being canceled? And as far as I can, I can't see a pattern here. <laughs> Yeah. Yet, maybe there is some some reasoning behind what's canceled and what's not canceled. Um, but for example, um, a couple of weeks ago, Stone Crab Festival at Tin City went went ahead, which is always a big crowd pleaser. Lots of people come in. Yep. But yet, the Christmas parade and the New Year's Eve fireworks have been canceled. Yeah, a little bit of disappointment there. I mean, this uh, COVID-19 thing is kind of interesting. I noticed, noticed in the Naples Daily News this morning, no mention of a number of cases, which they usually run every day. So more focused on what's happening with the election, of course. But, uh, uh, you know, to me, the numbers look like uh, that uh, while we're seeing an increase in the number of cases, deaths and hospitalizations don't seem to be increasing. So maybe this is a milder form of uh, COVID. Right. And you accept that, you know, ironically, this month, I know more people personally with COVID-19 than I ever have in the past. Have you? Really? So uh, didn't you just get a test yourself? 
I got tested myself because I had exposure. Just I had dinner with a couple that tested positive uh, the next day. Wow. They had been at a family wedding in St. Louis. These family weddings are seem to be hotspots for <laughs> yeah. COVID nineteen because I think you've got a lot of hugging and kissing and dancing and that kind of uh, transmission of aerosol droplets is where that happens. Yeah. So uh, you came out negative. I came out negative. I have been quarantining, which should end at the end of this weekend. Um, but yeah, thank goodness so far I'm, I'm feeling fine. And it was, um, you know, two hours in a restaurant. So we were unmasked, which is, you know, what the CDC says. If it's more than 15 minutes and direct contact with someone with, uh, with COVID-19, that's when you have to be concerned. Yeah. So uh, your friends that have got COVID, how are they doing? So I have two couples um, that ironically got it about the same time, both from contact with people in St. Louis. That may have something to do with me because I know a lot of people from St. Louis, so uh-huh. that might be the connection there. Uh-huh. Um, but w- the one couple that I had dinner with, very mild. They wouldn't even, uh, the wife lost sense of taste and smell, but other than that, nothing. Uh-huh. The other couple um, has had more trouble. Um, a lot of fatigue, um, some, they lost their sense of taste and smell, and a little bit of coughing from the husband. So much uh, harder, but no hospitalizations, no issues around that at all. Yeah, so again... And no. all people in the round, their early 60s. Okay, so uh, this is... Which is the, you know, the, the start of the area where they say you should be concerned. Absolutely. So this is just so interesting to me. I you know, personally don't know... I actually do know one person that uh, uh, got COVID, has no symptoms, by the way, but tested positive. So... Uh, aside from that, uh, you know, it's... Well, and our mayor of Naples also, uh, who I've been in contact with um, subsequent to her recovery from COVID, and uh, she had mild symptoms. She was fatigued, you know, had to stay in bed for a couple of days, mm-hmm. um, but has since made a full recovery. She still, says she still gets tired, but, um, you know, no lingering symptoms beyond that. So uh, the, I guess I was speaking with Mayor Bill yesterday, and he suggested that well, they may consider the mask mandate in Naples. I, I personally feel grateful that we're, they're allowing uh, the citizens to make good decisions around their health and the health of others and, you know, offering to wear a mask if they feel that's the right thing or if they're, you know, people who might have compromised immune systems can make decisions to protect themselves. I don't like the mask mandate, obviously, but I think the I think Naples is starting to think about that. Um, I'm not sure. I think I believe that Collier County has extended the mask mandate. Have they not? Uh, until uh, until April. Yeah. So I think what we might be concerned about is when we start getting tourists down here, because um, from what I've talked about to people who are in other parts of the country, I was on a call with someone from Chicago the other day, um, someone from New York. They are so locked down still mm-hmm. um, that when they come down here, they may feel like, hey, this is just easy, free, no masks, no worries, no nothing. Mm-hmm. And that might be the issue. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was talking, I don't remember if it was Chicago or New York. The person said when they go into the restaurants, they scan your phone, they take your temperature, they scan your phone so they can do contact tracing. Oh, my goodness. Of you afterwards. Plus, they then, you know, take your temperature and uh, they let you sit down. Um, and there are funny little rules I've seen in restaurants where um, the server, they will either hold the bottle and pour the wine for you or 
you will have the wine on your table and they won't touch it after they've given it to you Yeah. so that there's no cross-contamination of that. So even though the CDC, CDC has said that there's very little evidence of contamination from surfaces, you know, there's still these funny little rules that certain restaurants are implementing on their own. Uh, that's so true, Sharon. Well, in any event, uh, it's uh, from my view, I would imagine if people wanted to go on vacation or take a uh, take a, a staycation, I think they say, well, let's go to Maple so we can wear a mask. I think they'd probably be heard to be able to make their own decisions about wearing a mask. But that's just me. So, <laughs> in any event, uh, it's. I think uh, to your point though, when we started. Uh, it seems like certain things are being canceled, but uh, you know we are beginning to see the economy opening up, seeing people come down here, and that's a good thing. Well, and I think they're opening things up, but they're keeping it at a lower level. For example, I believe the Third Street Festival of Lights is going ahead, mm. but they're not doing the tree lighting ceremony. So the Festival of Lights, which is always the week of Thanksgiving, is probably the biggest event in the city of Naples in terms of the number of people that come out for it. Mm -hmm. So they still want that business, but they don't want the overwhelming crowds where you are shoulder to shoulder, which is the way it is at the tree lighting ceremony. Yeah, it certainly makes sense. So I think they're looking for where they can still have that atmosphere and yet diminish the intense crowds. Absolutely. Sharon Kenny, again, the author of Where Should We Eat? I genuinely appreciate your contribution to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to talk to you, Bob. Thank you. You too. All right. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. We're going to do that and more. All right. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Just encourage you to visit Lulabee's Diner, have breakfast or lunch. They do a great job. And now they're offering takeout for breakfast or lunch. You can use uh, Uber Eats uh, to uh, have delivery. Again, Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. We have with us Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on, Bob. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Dave, and I just admire the work that you've done. The book is just terrific. It's about you were assailed by union officers. I tried to, uh, from SEIU, they tried to unionize your shop by having you sign a neutrality agreement. They wouldn't. They tried to pressure you into it. 
You said no. Um, if you're going to uh, unionize my my shop, my business, you're going to have to do it by secret ballot. They didn't want to do that for some reason. And uh, the dirty tricks ensued that went on for two and a half years. And you prevailed and wrote a book about it. It's called The Devil at Our Doorstep. You can't make this stuff up. It's just an incredible story. And I encourage all of our listeners because it's really it's the playbook of the Democrat Party right now. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, Bob, it is the playbook. Uh, the SEIU, and I have to tell you this, as part of this, um, there's a gal that I um, talked about a little bit in my second book, and because uh, she read my first book, and uh, she's from California, and uh, but she's an immigrant from Egypt. She's been here for about 27 years now, or more, mm-hmm. and um, she's she she loved my first book, and she says, Dave, please keep fighting because um, the unions brought down Egypt, and I don't want them to bring down America because I love America, and I know that's what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she's providing me all kind of information. But yesterday um, I got a call from her that um, she is um, <clears throat> was going to send me something on the SEIU, how they're controlling uh, ballots and stuff like that in California and uh, even sent a video where she went in and um, uh, to a balloting thing where the SEIU was and went after him and they threw her out and that. And um, um, But she's saying, they're saying that there's going to be, um, you know, like 100 mail-in ballots, but the truth is they only get about uh, 700. And the three other 300, they're writing their own ballots um, yeah. for you know, the Democratic Party. Well, this is the kind of stuff I, I really believe is going on. I have no doubt about that. And uh, it, it's just so disappointing, Dave, but I'm, I'm proud of the president. He's, he has resolve. I don't think he's going to slink away and say, well, we fought the good fight. We'll do it another day. I think he's in, he's in it for, to win it. Well, I think he is, too. It's going to be tough, though. I'm sad to see this morning that Biden gained the lead a little bit by, like, 97 votes in Georgia. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it looks like a couple of the Georgia Senate people could, uh, get beat by Democrats too. And I hope that doesn't happen. Um, uh, I hope they come back there, but you know, in Arizona, um, and, and talking to some other people on that, um, you know, a lot of the reasons that Arizona has, has turned towards Democrats some and, and Texas did too, is because a lot of Californians, uh, were tired of the what was going on in California and they left California and went to Arizona and Texas. Yeah. yeah. But they're still voting for Democrats, which doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. <laughs> let's see if we can pollute the, the political environment here since we don't like what we created back there and, and do the same thing. It's just really crazy. I still believe, I think that in order to gain uh, uh, residency here in Florida, I think there should be some sort of a civics test that people have to take and pass in order to become citizens of Florida. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, and the other thing is, is with all that immigration out of California and Arizona, Texas, I just wonder if California really has um, all the um, electoral votes that they should have, because I think their population is way down. And, um, you know, it's I, I don't think things are being done right across the country. And it's because the Democratic Party is being controlled by the SEIU uh, and uh, Soros and a couple other big unions behind the scenes. Yeah, not to mention uh, maybe some money coming from uh, Zuckerberg and some others, too. That's right. Yeah. That's right. 
And uh, but but I think some of those people are being controlled behind the scenes too. I think they're being knocked on and. They don't want to do it, you know. So you're making a very important point, and that is something I hadn't thought of until we had this conversation. I've known it, but I just had it occurred to me that the other thing that's going to happen with a, a, a Democrat victory here is massive unionization of businesses. That is going to have a negative and detrimental effect to the growth of the economy. Well, that's right. Um, you know, because uh, Biden gets in there, they're going to change a lot of regulations on the National Labor Relations Board. Yeah. Uh, that will turn it because you know Trump uh, raced a lot of those things Obama put in there and turned it back to an even platform, but they're going to turn it back to a a, a very uh, pro union platform where they can go in and you know um, force unionize people and request information and request seeing the employees before they go in and talk and uh, do votes and uh, I mean they're they're just going to do a lot of things that. Uh, they can force unionize people with. And then I think there's going to be a lot of other regulations in the country behind the scene. They're going to turn around uh, to make it more liberal. Absolutely. The EPA, you just go down the list. You think of all the things the president has done. He's done by executive order. It's it's going to take a while for him to accomplish it, but they want to turn all of that around and get it back to uh, moving over-regulated state, quite frankly, which is, you see what the president's done. He's really opened up the economy by reducing regulations. Now, isn't that amazing? Get government out of the way so so all of us can focus on what we want to accomplish. And, uh, you know, over-regulation, who does it support? Who does it help? It helps big business. It hurts small businesses. And the backbone of the country, so you started as a small business, kind of a small one-guy shop kind of a thing, and you, you've grown your business to 6,000 employees. That's the American opportunity, and that's what I think uh, the the uh, left wants to kill. Yep, uh, you're, you're exactly right. And uh, they, um, they want to regulate us. And, Bob, I know I've said this on your show many times. Uh, the truth is they want to be uh, turn us into a socialist and communistic country. And uh, that's what this is all about, so they can control us. Absolutely, Dave. Well, you've made a good, great contribution. Again, I just encourage our listeners to read your book. The name of the book is The Devil at Our Doorstep. And you can get a copy at uh, Dave's website, thedevilatourdoorstep.com. You can also get a copy on my website at a nice discount, of course, at Amazon as well. Dave, before I let you go, though, uh, what's your prognostication? Who's going to end up winning and be, being our president? I don't know, Bob. I'm um, I'm really on the fence right now. I I was hoping that uh, they could flip Arizona, which I you know I I think they have a chance of doing that. Uh, but you know they've got some people there down there like McCain and that that have. Uh, pushed against the Republican Party. And uh, and like I say, they got Democrats in there from California that are voting the wrong way. And um, and then, of course, I think, to, to the unions uh, affecting some things down there. So that, that bothers me. Same thing with Pennsylvania, because I'll tell you, Philadelphia, Bob, is hugely controlled by the SEIU. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, it's one of those areas that, you know, we just don't want to do business in because of it. Yeah. And um, it's, uh, I think when they go through their mail-in ballots, I'm afraid that he's going to lose Pennsylvania, too. Well, I'm going to end on a positive note and say, I think he will prevail. I think they picked the fight with a wrong guy, quite frankly. So, uh, you know, usually the Republicans say, oh, well, we tried, uh, and slink away and say, we'll do it another time. I don't think the president has that attitude. I think he's in it to win it. Well, I do, too, and I think he'll fight back in that. But I'm just concerned about some of these things that are going on. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, 
I hope he can. I, I, he has to stand strong and uh, has to have a, a strong backbone. Absolutely. Dave, again, genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, God bless uh, Trump and, and God help him. Uh, get him to win the presidency. Absolutely. Thank you, Dave. Well, on that note, we're going to end the show. We really appreciate your uh, tuning in. On Monday, we're going to visit with our uh, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. He sees the world through a more global lens uh, as a, uh, I'm going to call him a Democrat. Uh, but uh, always appreciate our conversation. He's a real smart guy, and uh, we'll be talking about current world affairs. We'll also visit with Jim McTagg. He's the author of uh, Shake the Money Tree, and Dr. Kristen Story will be with us as well. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, uh, single-pay systems and uh, what's happening in nursing homes. In any event, I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast and a great, great weekend wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>